Welcome to What Christians Should Know, hosted by Dr. Elijah Sadoffel. This podcast equips you with clarity and meaningful answers about God, the Bible, and your Christian life. Now, here's Dr. Sadoffel. Today, we'll be expositing Romans chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. In these verses, we will continue to learn more about the results of man's rejection of God. Now, before we dive into an exposition of the text, allow me to summarize how we got here. This summary is necessary because all the verses in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32, are not independent of one another. Rather, they are an interlinked chain of statements whose conclusions depend on what was said before. So what Romans 1, 18 to 25 has told us is that God has revealed himself and the response of men is that they suppress God's truth. As a result, God expresses wrath. How God expresses his wrath is by judicial abandonment. This is what is referred to in Romans 1, verse 24, verse 26, and 28 when God gives men over. Judicial abandonment speaks the reality that as a man abandons God, so God abandons man, and when he does, that man runs full steam ahead into sin. Judicial abandonment tells us that God permits some to fall into the sin that they want. God subsequently allows them to do without restraint. In the end, for those who hate God and who love sin, they run directly into divine judgment. Now, before I move on, allow me to say one thing about judicial abandonment that I neglected to mention in prior lessons. It is important to note that this idea is not novel in the New Testament, neither is it novel in Romans 1. It is a theme that has run the course of the entire Bible. For example, throughout the book of Jeremiah, God speaks through his prophet and tells the people over and over again that if they do not repent, judgment is coming. He tells the people that because they have abandoned him, he will abandon them and hand them over to a foreign nation who will exile them. Biblical history tells us that the people did not repent and two foreign nations did in fact exile the people out of the promised land for covenantal disobedience. These two nations were the Assyrians and the Babylonians. So even in the Old Testament, we witness the phenomenon of God giving people over to the sin that they desire. In the New Testament, a fitting example of judicial abandonment is seen in Luke chapter 8, verses 26 to 39. There, Jesus is visiting the Gerasenes. The Lord subsequently casts all the demons out of a demoniac, and the man was made well. The demons that came out of the man entered into a herd of pigs, which then rushed down into the sea and drowned. Luke 8.37 tells us that all the people of the country and the surrounding district asked Jesus to leave them, for they were gripped with great fear. And what was God's response? Even though he came by grace and made a man well, the people rejected him. So he got into a boat and left. Now why did the Gerasenes not wish to know more about the God who performed a wonderful demonstration of divine power in their midst? Why did the Gerasenes become their own enemy and shut their door against salvation? The answer speaks to the modern person. The answer is that the Gerasenes had competing loves in their hearts and did not want to give them up. 
As a result, they knew they could not hold on to Christ and hold on to their own sin at the same time. They understood something about God and recognized that He is incompatible with darkness. Hence, given the option, they chose to remain in the dark. As a result, the light left. Jesus therein departed, not in an air of harsh indifference, but in the sense of purposeful judgment, which testified to the magnitude of the people's sins. What we therefore see in the whole canon of Scripture is that it has always been a part of God's eternal law that those who refuse the light will have the light taken from them. Beloved, at the end of the day, if people persist in refusing the Son, God has nowhere promised to force the Messiah upon them. People ought not to thus be surprised if God is the one who removes the gospel from their midst. I say all of that to stress the point that judicial abandonment may seem harsh, but in reality, it testifies to the grace of God and the malicious stubbornness of man. Now let's move back to Romans. What Romans 1, 24-25 explain to us are the first practical effects of judicial abandonment. That is, for those who exchanged the truth of God for a lie, they were given over to the lustful desires of their own hearts, resulting in the dishonoring of their bodies. Impurity is intimately connected with idolatry in that idolatry is the disease and impurity is the symptom. This speaks volumes about the moral decay that is invariably associated with the fall of peoples and empires. The problem is not the immorality per se, it's the impiety that causes the vices, which are the results of turning away from the Lord. So while Romans 1, 24-25 explained some of the first effects of judicial abandonment, what follows next are our theme verses. What these verses will do is further expound upon the effects of man's rejection of God. They describe how those who suppress the truth specifically dishonor their bodies. Let us now read our text. I invite you to open your Bibles with me so we can move through the verses together. So Romans 1, 26-27 says, For this reason God gave them over two degrading passions— For their women exchange the natural function for that which is unnatural, and in the same way also the men abandon the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Verse 26 begins by saying, For this reason. For what reason? Verse 25 tells us, for the reason of exchanging the truth of God for a lie. For that reason, God gave over those who reject Him. And what is the result? The result is degrading passions and unnatural sexual sins. What are unnatural sexual sins? Women sleeping with women and men sleeping with men. In other words, unnatural sexual sins are homosexual acts of fornication. What Romans 1.24 talked about were lusts of impurity. This referred to sins that were morally wrong, but they were natural in that people did not violate the rules of nature when doing them. So, for example, if a man and a woman have sex out of marriage, it is certainly sinful, but their act of fornication follows the rules of God's design of men having sex with women. Heterosexual intercourse is natural. 
heterosexual desires are normal because they align with God's creative intent. Homosexual desire intercourse is unnatural because it goes against nature. It is out of alignment with God's creative intent. This tells us that homosexuality never involves using one's body in a natural way. And by implication, this also tells us that transgenderism is also an unnatural sin because it involves purposely exchanging natural functions for that which is unnatural. Now before I move on, let us notice that the word for exchanged here in verse 25 is the same word Paul uses in verse 26. Verse 25 says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Verse 26 says, their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. In other words, in the same way the heathen exchanged the truth of God for a lie, women exchanged their natural function for that which is unnatural. This tells us something important, that idolaters don't just make a spiritual exchange of divine truth and then stop. Exchanging the truth of God for a lie actually now becomes a way of life as the exchange even affects how they use their bodies. In what I am about to say, I am going to be graphic in my language, not for the sake of shock value, but to make sure we truly embrace what the Apostle Paul is saying here. You do not need an open Bible to tell you that something is not right with homosexuality, that there is something unnatural about a man laying with a man or a woman laying with a woman. Since the beginning of time, children have been born only by natural means of a man having intercourse with a woman. That's how God designed it. If everyone in the world only engaged in homosexual intercourse, humanity would die in one generation. Why? Because homosexual intercourse is not natural and can therefore never produce a natural child. God is telling us something in the way He designed us. Furthermore, when we consider male homosexual intercourse, it involves an inversion of creation. The rectum and anus were specifically designed to serve a one-way excretory function, meaning it is a passageway that eliminates waste that the body wants to get rid of. In order for two males to copulate, use of natural organs must be repurposed and literally reversed. What you get is something perverse. But let us not forget the big picture. The real issue is never the symptoms. That is, the real problem is not the homosexual acts. It's the idolatry that begets the homosexual acts. A person who burns their desires for someone of the same sex is under judgment because of idolatry. Hence, you cannot alleviate the symptoms without first treating the disease. Subsequently, Christendom cannot begin to address homosexuality, or any sin for that matter. We cannot tackle it by first focusing on the sin. We must first focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is the one who already tackled sin for us on the cross, and He is the one who sets people free and delivers them out of their depravity. Where my wife and I live is in the outskirts of New York City. In many ways, that city is the mecca of gay culture in the United States. In fact, in June, Manhattan hosted World Pride 2019, which was the largest LGBTQ event in history. 
In one weekend in the city, an estimated 5 million people attended, and the 12-hour gay pride parade included more than 100,000 individuals. How did society reach the point where it is having such a grand parade in celebration of sin? How did people arrive at the conclusion that they are okay when in fact they demonstrate evidence of being judicially abandoned by God? The answer is godlessness. American culture has reached the depths of World Pride 2019 because of godlessness. Idolatry begets sexual sins and moral decay, which begets collapse of society at large. Now look at the first thing verse 26 says, that God gave them over to degrading passions. It is the passion on the inside that animates behaviors on the outside. And those passions are degrading or shameful because they yearn to sin and to sin unnaturally. I draw your attention to the reality that the passion itself is sinful because there are some who actually use Romans 1, 26-27 in order to make a case for homosexuality. How do they do this? Their logic goes something like this. That Romans 1, 26-27 doesn't necessarily say that homosexuality is sinful. Instead, what the text condemns is love that is not natural. Not natural means going against what the person's natural sexual orientation is. So, using the logic of this argument, if John Doe is naturally attracted to men, it would be unnatural for John Doe to go against his sexual orientation. Is this a reasonable argument based on the text? The answer is absolutely not. As is always the case, if we simply read precisely what the text says, it speaks for itself. Let us read Romans 1, 26-27 again. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. First, the text says that sinful behavior begins in the heart with degrading passions. How do we know that these passions are degrading? Because they contradict the moral rule of God, because they are a passion to do that which is against nature. Second, what the text describes is not a person who describes to do something that is against their own sexual orientation. It talks about people who exchange their natural function for that which is unnatural. How do we know what a natural function or a natural use is? That simple. We do not look to the creature, we look to the creator. We look at God and the natural world. And when we do that, we see that natural function or natural use is never about preference. It is about natural sex between a man and a woman. Hence, the term natural function is used in the context of sexual activity and relates to biology as designed by God. Accordingly, when God gave the command to have sex or to be fruitful and multiply, he gave it to Adam and his wife Eve. That is, he gave the command to one man and his wife. 
Third, verse 27 makes crystal clear what abandoning natural function looks like and what it looks like is same-sex intercourse. Verse 27 says, In the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts. So the point here is that the issue Paul is talking about is not a preference or an orientation that I have. Who defines what is normal is not man. It is God. And God is the one who says that natural sex functions between one man and one woman. In Romans 1, 26-27, the text mentions women first and then men. Paul talks about women exchanging their natural function for unnatural ones and then says that men do otherwise. Why is this? There is nothing in the text that gives us a clue, but commentator Charles Hodge has an interesting insight. In his book, Commentary on the Epistles of the Romans, he writes, quote, Paul first refers to the degradation of females among the heathen because they are always the last to be affected in the decay of morals, and their corruption is therefore proof that all virtue is lost. End quote. We will now move on to verse 27 and focus our attention there for the rest of this episode. Romans 1.27 says, And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. The meaning of Romans 1.27 is very plain. It continues the same train of thought that begins in verse 24 to describe to us the effects of God giving men over. In plain English, this verse tells us what sin looks like, and it also tells us that those who engage in homosexual acts with others receive in their own persons the due penalty of their error. In other words, while we know that all sin has consequences, what this verse clarifies for us is that unnatural sins will have unnatural consequences. What are examples of such unnatural consequences? Well, 1 Corinthians 6.18 tells us that he who commits sexual sin is sinning against his own body. There are countless ways in which this is true. Yet, apart from the homosexuality itself, I think it would be very difficult to answer what specific unnatural consequences of sin are without drifting from the text and speculating. So, I will leave the text as it is and comment no further. Now let's be honest, especially in the modern West, many people don't like Romans 1.27. Why is that? Because it clearly and plainly tells us that homosexuality is wrong and immoral because it is a sin. In a very straightforward manner, the text tells us that homosexual desire is a manifestation of an idolatrous, impure heart. The text says that a darkened heart begets degrading passions and indecent homosexual acts. This coincides with the crystal clear message of the Bible overall that condemns homosexuality. For scripture references, see Leviticus 18.22 and 20.13, 1 Corinthians 6.9-11, and 1 Timothy 1 verses 8-10. 
This also coincides with the crystal clear message of the Bible that only approves of sexual activity inside of the heterosexual marriage relationship. I am emphasizing the point here because secular culture at large tells people it's bad to put limitations on sexual activity. This should not surprise us because if homosexuality was truly moral, there would be no need to justify it as such. In fact, if some have been given over to dishonorable passions, one should expect that the unrepentant demand approval for their sinfulness. This approval is earnestly sought because when homosexuality is rightly called sinful, it reminds the unrepentant of the truth they are trying so very hard to suppress. This is why many try to get around what Romans 1, 26-27 teaches plainly. In fact, some try so hard to contradict what God has already said, they have to change the text to make it say what they want. For example, the Queen James Bible is commonly known as the Gay Bible. And yes, in case I just threw you for a loop, that is a real book that really exists, the Queen James Bible. The Gay Bible is an abominable corruption that tries to make it seem like homosexuality is not a sin. To do this, the authors first had to admit that the real Word of God does condemn homosexuality in no uncertain terms. So what did the anonymous authors of the QJV do next? They changed the translation, reinterpreted it, and forced the text to say the exact opposite of what the original language actually said in order to support an agenda. In other words, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie in order to support and propagate darkness. Beloved, the Bible in its original language is the inerrant, infallible Word of God. God said exactly what He meant and meant exactly what He said. Let us therefore listen to what God has said, never to what man wants God to say. As we now conclude our exposition of Romans 1, 26-27, the one caution that I would express to the listening audience is to never think that any sin is beyond the power of God to save from that sin. So on the one hand, we value the clear biblical teaching that homosexuality is an unnatural sin. On the other hand, we also don't elevate homosexuality as a special category of iniquity that makes a person unredeemable. Homosexuality is not an unforgivable sin because anyone who earnestly trusts in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior receives the benefits of His atonement and the gift of His righteousness. There never was a sinner so bad that Christ could not save them. Just acts the former terrorist, Jewish zealot, and Christian killer, the Apostle Paul, the very man who wrote Romans. With that understanding in mind, what I have said before is that when witnessing to those who engage in same-sex relations, we simply preach the gospel knowing that the core issue is not the sexual misconduct. The core issue is idolatry or a schism in a person's vertical relationship with Christ. Once a person's vertical relationship is repaired, then their horizontal relationships begin to heal. We therefore preach the gospel to this cohort in love. 
we do so with the biblical truth that God desires for all of his own to enjoy sex in the way in which God designed, in the context of a heterosexual marriage between one man and his wife. We would never want someone to enjoy themselves now just so that they can get hurt later. This is why the gospel is preached in love, so that all people can enjoy the best God has desired for them in the way God designed. It is only when a person lives in alignment with God's intent that a person experiences something heavenly, not earthly. They experience heavenly forgiveness and spiritual joy knowing that through Christ they are an accepted child of God and set free to walk in obedience of His ways. It is then that a man experiences life at its best and begins to see that the delight found in the Holy God is the apex of all experience. The fleeting pleasures of the flesh simply cannot compare to the Almighty God. Still, Paul is not yet done showing us how far down into sin man will go before he explains to us how high Christ picks us up. We will therefore pick up next time in Romans chapter 1, verse 28. Thank you for listening. For more valuable resources, including a bookstore and online Bible study, visit wcsk.org.